What's up, everybody? It's Will at Schedule Fly, and I am very excited today to be here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, with Brandon Sharp at Hawthorne and Wood. Uh, this place is uh, just opened on April 6th. They're already doing extremely well, got a great reputation. And Brandon's reputation is just uh, as good as one could be. He's a seven time Michelin star winner. He's been in the business for, been cooking for over 20 years. Uh, and spent a lot of time in some of the best restaurants in the country from New Orleans to California for a long time and now is back home uh, in Chapel Hill, huh? Yeah, that's right. Happy to be back in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And so you came back a couple of years ago and worked at Carolina Inn. Right. I, I really, really lucked out with a fantastic position as executive chef at the Carolina Inn. The previous chef had just left and it just, you know, serendipitously landed at the uh, sort of the, the beacon of hospitality or, you know, that's the way I've always thought of it um, here in Chapel Hill. So really lucky to have been there. Two years flew by. Um, it was a great experience. You And you had wanted to be there for since you were young. Did I read that? Well, it was one of those places that my grandparents took me and, um, and it's, it's, it's just, again, it's just a, a beacon of, um, of, you know, what, what it was so, it was, it was so fancy when I was a kid and it, and it still is, you know, really the, um, the apex of, um, um, hotels around here. So you, you were a philosophy major here at, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, right? <laughs> right. Did you, you could call it that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that was what you. Well, I was already working in, in kitchens at the time. I, I worked well, I at the uh, okay. I worked at the Weather Vane um, when it was out at Eastgate, um, which I, m- most people I tell now don't even remember that. And the the chef there, uh, Devin Mills, I told him, yeah, study philosophy. He's like, yeah, you're going to be cooking for a long time. <laughs> he called it back then. Did you? I mean, did you think you would? Is it something? Did you have an early passion for it? Is it something you thought you'd do? Or no, no. no I just kept working in restaurants and kept working in restaurants and. Um, um, until I was a, you know, restaurant worker and that's, that's what I did and, and what I was. Um, I went to culinary school uh, a couple years after graduating from Carolina. And by then the momentum was certainly starting to build for okay. me. I you used to go to the bookstore before work. And, and at one point I realized I was, you know, not looking in the fiction and poetry section anymore. I was checking out the cookbooks and, and yeah. And then, so then my interest just began to build and reinforced by great mentors and, um, yeah, and it just uh, just gained momentum, I would say. But you didn't cook as a kid or have a lot of interest in... No, I was a finicky eater as a kid. Um, you know, just really? a regular... Oh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, little things like picking the mushrooms out of the spaghetti sauce and, and, and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Uh, but now you... I read somewhere that uh, you were talking about not wanting to waste a meal. Right. Yeah, that's that's a big thing for me and Elizabeth, my wife, when we're, you know, especially someplace unfamiliar because, I mean, you don't eat all day long, but you want to have something. It doesn't have to be fancy, but you just don't want to end up in a somewhere where you're just like, oh, man, I... I that just that just that just didn't do it for me, and uh, I wish I'd have, wish I'd have done so, wish I'd have made another choice. But well, is yeah. part of that? I mean, you're you're a triathlete, or you are used to? Former, yeah, or? I was. I, I did triathlons for for seven years. And what do you do to stay fit? You're really fit. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I, I just do my own thing at the gym, kind of. Uh-huh. But I'm I'm like obsessed. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I got to go five days a week, and it's kind of like you know, I guess right. it's my addiction or whatever you want to call it. But I just it's you know, it's kind of hardwired into me. Uh, at this point yeah yeah well i know the listeners can't see you but yeah <laughs> this guy looks like a, a pro triathlete but um 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 sorry what was the question well i was just curious so you were a triathlete and you obviously are still fit yourself is is um diet becomes a big part of that i know um 
I think that I I think that I worked out so that I could eat as much as I wanted to. Okay. I, yeah. I I didn't have a history in um, endurance sports. It's something that I I dearly loved to do, um, and it was satisfying in, in different ways. But uh, it did allow me to eat whatever I wanted to. Yeah. You know, when we we're younger, I used to, I did run uh, in my twenties. I, I ran a marathon, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, and I never really ran a whole lot. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do a marathon. And I mm-hmm. went and started training, and I was like. Yeah, the best part about this is I can eat whatever the hell I want. Like if I literally want to come home in the evening and have three bowls of ice cream, I, it's totally cool because right. I cannot put on weight. I don't think it's the same now though. In the forties, <laughs> like it doesn't really matter what you do. At some point, it starts to catch up to you. Yeah, but I've, I've changed my eating habits a lot over the last decade. It's nice to see. I mean, it seems like just culturally we're moving more in that direction. More and more people are paying attention to what they're eating, where the food came from, just giving it more thought than just showing up and digging in and. Um, and it's, it's, it's good. I mean, you guys obviously serve very fresh, clean, whole food here. Not a lot of ingredients. Um, right, right. It, we'll talk about, um, where, I mean, kind of tell me a little bit about the evolution of your cooking philosophy over the years and from CIA to, you know, working down in New Orleans and working at French Laundry and, mm-hmm. and Soul Bar. I mean, what's, what have you learned over the years and what have sort of become the staples of your, your philosophy of, of food? Well, the touchstone of it, and is really it goes all, and it's odd because I think about this more now than I have in you know probably the last seven or eight years. But when we compose the menu here, I really, I really tried hard over the years not to name drop. Oh, and when I was at the French Laundry, we did this, or when I was at Kerry Danko, we did this. But um, every night at the French Laundry, we all the chefs de partie would sit down with the chef or the sous chef or chef de cuisine and write the next day's menu. And to me, it seemed, in the beginning, it seemed to me as if these compositions were just being spun out of thin air. Okay. It's like, wow, where did that come from? How did he come up with beets and leeks? How did he come up with um, uh, roasted chicken with sumac? Or how did he come up with um, veal sweetbreads with truffles and celery? And then as I got to know more about cuisine and the history of French cooking and what was happening at the time, in the U.S. and and who the influential chefs were, I came to realize, um, and also as I began to explore more international food um, through cookbooks and visits to San Francisco and things like that, I realized that there were so many established flavor combinations from around the world that Thomas Keller and the other cooks there were drawing on that we could use fantastic local ingredients to realize great versions of a dish from... Southeast Asia or a dish from the Levant or a dish from Brittany or, you know, whatever it was. And so they weren't coming up with things out of thin air. They were coming up with things that were new to me and new to the diners, but they were combinations that people had been eating in different parts of the world for scores of years or hundreds of years or, you know, whatever it was. And so it was just, um, there was never any, Hey, let's smash these two things into each other and and see what happens. You know, there was never any experimental cooking there. It was, right at the limit when it came to what the technology was at the time. But um, the guest was never treated as the guinea pig or, or anything like that. So I reflect back on that, um, not um, in and of itself and those compositions, but as a way to compose our menu here. And, okay, so we have water, okay, so we have the first good watermelon of the season. Well, one thing that a lot of folks are unaware that watermelon is fantastic with is Thai fish sauce. So we're using really? this, yes, melons, um, watermelon, and the other summer melons are amazing with fish sauce. And so we have um, 
a table sauce, which is it's a common um, um, ingredient, a common recipe of uh, fish sauce, water, lime juice, sugar, garlic, and chili flakes uh, that we use to dress um, cucumbers, mm. radish, and watermelon. The rest of the salad is seasoned with peanuts, uh, mint, cilantro, Thai basil, and then this big um, puffed rice cracker with uh, nutritional yeast on it. So it has all these elements of umami and all this depth, but none of it comes from Parmesan cheese or red wine or you know any of the or mushrooms or, or some of the other uh, more common sources of umami. It comes from fish sauce, which you don't always you know don't often see paired with fruit. But again, in one part of the world. Um, Fish sauce has been eaten on melons and on ripe fruit for who knows how many generations. Do you travel a lot around the world? No, I no. wish I did. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was just curious. Um, the because uh, a lot of this stuff and a lot of times you'll, it'll come from street food in, in mm-hmm. a lot of cultures, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But but um, um, you know, San Francisco, huge variety and, and yeah. array of of food and places to eat from all around the world. Same thing with um, you know trips to New York City now and then. So. Okay. Uh, all these years in the business, why, uh, what, what happened that you decided now I'm going to open my own place? Or, I mean, had you always wanted to, or is it something that you was just waiting for the right time or had always wanted to, um, for sure. And, and waiting for the right time, the right set of circumstances, uh, the right place. And, and I, I think in a lot of ways it, it's like, um, deciding to have children that like, there's never a good time to do yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's, it's something that you've always looked forward to doing. And, um, um, it's, it's exhilarating and, and terrifying. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working as as hard as I as hard as I want to as hard as I can and um it's 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 thrilling. Yeah. What did you Okay, so you wanted to be in Chapel Hill. Um talk about the culinary scene here and and what you all are doing and and kind of what your vision is for this place. I'm still trying to figure out the the culinary scene in in Chapel Hill. There's so many uh, established restaurants here um uh, most of which I've been to by now, but it it is um it's forever changing. It um um, you know, when I last lived here, Durham was a place that you didn't really go on money for any reason. And now, um, you could drive to Durham, uh, you know, two weeks straight and eat at a, eat at a different, uh, yeah. a different great restaurant every night. Um, Chapel Hill has a lot of, a lot of fantastic restaurants as well. And so trying to figure out what our niche would be here. Um, um, you know, it, it, there was a, obviously a million conversations around it, but, it didn't really. We didn't really say, "Hey, Chapel Hill needs this kind of restaurant." Okay. What we said to each other was, "This is the type of restaurant that I am driven to um, create, and you know, get the right people, get the right design, get the right look, uh, get the right ingredients, and we will we will make this succeed." So we, it it kind of has become. Um, it's 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 the sort of thing that I want to take on. It's when people reflect on it and say, "Oh, my dinner at Hawthorne and Wood." You know, I want that name to mean something that um, is their experience there. It's not a bistro. It's not fine dining. It's not X, Y, or Z. I really just want it to be everybody's favorite neighborhood restaurant. You know, that's what I want for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these couches will help with that, I think. <laughs> We're sitting in these awesome. Uh, t- how big are these things? God, these are. Uh, yeah. 16 by 4 by 4, and there are two of them. 
two of them right here facing each other right as you walk in the front door in sort of a lounge area. This is freaking sweet. This is awesome. How about the design here? Was this a lot of this your ideas? or? No, I am not an esthete. And so um, my wife, Elizabeth, again, with um, with our designer, Amy Howard, from AHA Collective um, in Carborough. And so my design approach is to say, I don't like this. I don't like that. Have you been there? I don't like that. I don't like the other things. <laughs> it's just yeah. saying a lot of, cause it's, it's really hard to get a restaurant, um, and, and make it not ugly. But, uh, Amy had all sorts of fantastic ideas. I had never seen framed panels of wallpaper before. I thought that was really cool. Um, but she was able to think not just aesthetically, but ergonomically as well. And how is this space going to flow into the next? How are the guests going to get from the table to this chair? How are, what are they going to see when they sit at this corner of the bar? Are they going to see the wrong light? Are they going to, so a lot of, a million of those choices, um, had to be made, in advance and then of course 10,000 more had to be made every single day um, when we put you know some new piece of equipment would come in or you know uh, pick a pick a thing that can happen during construction I was I was unaware of um, you know how how constantly um, the space and the concept would evolve during the build-out process but you you opened kind of when you were planning on opening didn't you we did. We sure did. Yeah. Or even earlier or something. I think well, I saw something that said May and you open in April. <laughs> this is like, everybody always opens like, you know, they say I'm going to open in May and I'll be like, okay, it's going to be September. I've seen, I've seen that happen many times and I was determined not to fall into that trap because I've yeah. had, I've had many friends um, say that, yeah, we're going to be open in May. And then it's like, okay, it's Thanksgiving. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop asking now. Um, so it was, it was, uh, you know, there's conversations I have with the construction team and then, um, uh, but when the press asked, it was it was you know I wanted to to make sure that we could deliver on what we said we were going to do. So uh, the plan all along operationally was to be open in time to give ourselves enough momentum and enough experience to be um, good at being busy by the time graduation weekend and Mother's Day rolled around, which is you know beginning in May. So and we were able to accomplish that. We had a really successful weekend. So yeah, you've had have they had both now? Has graduation occurred? Yes, those those happen for Duke, Carolina, and Mother's Day. Those all those things happen on the same Sunday. So oh, it's the same it's, Sunday. It's a they huge, were both oh, huge weekend God. around here. And y'all y'all did it one month after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. that's impressive. Thanks. Because yeah. a lot, <laughs> a lot could go wrong. <laughs> well, a lot, you know, a lot did go wrong. Yeah. But, uh, we we had made we had made a whole lot of mistakes um, by then that we didn't repeat that weekend. So that was great. I was really impressed with everybody's uh, snaptuitiveness and. Um, um, you know, working with the, 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 team who did the build out and, um, and all the subs and, and my managers and everybody, they were very good at doing what they said they were going to do when they said they were going to do it. And that uh, makes all the difference in the world. So. Okay. But talking about that, that you have to have a really good team to pull that off, especially a month after you've just opened a new restaurant. Um, your first, what, how do you find, and, and this is such a big issue right now is labor. How are you? How did you find good people uh, to be on your team? I got really lucky. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, no, I did. I, I interviewed a, a lot of people. Um, it only takes one, you know, one one great one um, to to apply for the job. Um, and so our our general manager Neil Benefield came over from um, Pools in Raleigh, and before that he had spent eight years at Nana's in Durham, a local institution, and um, just comes with a wealth of experience and knowledge. and And his uh, his affability on the floor and sense of composure are um, are amazing. Uh, and he's just gifted with an innate sense of hospitality and a, a desire to make people happy. And uh, our sous chef uh, John Navaria back there had just moved to Raleigh. 
um, after spending four years with Chef Slade Rushing down at Brennan's, the reincarnation of, of Brennan's in New Orleans, and um, was very fired up, is still very fired up, and um, was just one of those people. I've only met a couple around here who, you know, are driven to talk about food at the, at the level that I want to talk about it and with the same desire and interest and um, um, sort of insatiable uh, curiosity about it. So I, I don't know what people think when they walk into the kitchen and, you know, to make a delivery or ask a question, whatever it is, and he and I are off on some rant, um, but it happens all the time. And it's really fun for us. So um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great partnership with those two. And, and from there, the circle just began to grow of, okay, this lead server and this lead bartender and this lead cook and, and so on and so forth. And so um, we've been very, again, just very fortunate with our hires and um, um, tried to reward them um, um, and, and make them feel very valued here. Yeah, make them feel like it's, it's their place as well. Um, th- and that's changed a lot, I think, over the years. I mean, you've probably seen a lot of changing mentality in restaurants about how you treat team members and how you treat staff and you've got the cooks that are back there you know yelling at people i mean there's tv shows about this within the last yeah. decade but that's that's that culture is changing and it seems like this generation doesn't put up with it as much i, I don't think they do i mean I, I listen to a lot of interviews a lot of chef podcasts and things like that and there are a lot of questions about hey how are women being treated how are minorities being treated how you know are different walks of life being treated in the kitchen and um I think that it does have an ugly history. I don't know. I, but, but at this moment, I can only speak for my kitchen. Yeah. Um, and so I know that we try to, I, I, well, to go back in time with my experience for a minute, I've been on you know, one side of the line from chefs who were yelling and screaming and humiliating. And I'm just of, you know, by luck or whatever, I'm just of the mentality that I realized that these chefs were not getting my very best. Yeah. Um, and they just never would. They would get, 99% but not everything and so I promised myself that it was when I was the one with the white coat on I wouldn't be making people feel like this no matter how bad they were messing up so um, so we have extremely high expectations back there um, our cooks and our, our staff all get immediate feedback if they're doing great we'll tell them if they need improvement we'll tell them um, and I view my job as the owner and Neil and John's job as the managers to provide all the resources, all the equipment, the information, the recipes, everything that they need, you know, everything that the staff need to be successful in their job and then to hold them accountable. Like to me, that's the, that's the, um, that's the equation. That's the interaction. That's the, the transaction between, uh, employer and employee, um, at its best. And, um, we keep it professional back there and, um, you know, again, hold everybody accountable and, and have very high expectations. Our expectations are, are stratospheric, but they can be met. What do you mean by stratospheric? Well, it says on the wall back there, um, strive for excellence, ex- no, strive for perfection, accept excellence. Yeah. Like that's, if you are gunning for perfection in every, every movement, um, every interaction, um, then you will achieve excellence. And the, the guideposts of our culture here are clarity, focus, precision, and grace. And so we're trying to be absolutely clear in our interactions, whether we're speaking on the phone to a guest or whether we're asking for a recipe. We're focused, we're present when we're at work, we're active listeners, um, and um, uh, we're graceful when we're, we're on the floor dealing with guests. Um, that's, that's, that's something that, you know, we're taking a deep breath and realizing that the guests are here to have a wonderful experience and, um, you know, spend time with us and we're treating them 
like we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So that's the that's what we're trying to get across um, in terms of culture. And then let the good food, let the good wine, let the um, the smiles come from there. Ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So grace is a clarity, focus, precision, and grace. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that. Um, does tell me about the the community here. I mean, you've got a, so we're in, you know, we're in Chapel Hill. We're in a, we're in a, a big college town. Mm-hmm. What hap- what changes over the summer here? And does that affect you all? Or is, or is this, is there enough neighborhood around here that, you know, that's not really your audience or, I mean. Sure. I'm, I'm sure we'll slow down some in the, in the summer. It hasn't happened yet, but, um, but that was certainly the rhythm of the year uh, at the Carolina Inn. Here we are surrounded by um, a lot more, uh, affluent neighborhoods we have we have residents who live in this building um we're close to um to many neighborhoods but sure you know kids get out of school and, and people go out of town for the summer and um um but we'll see and uh you know i i'm thinking that our patio will be probably six months a year you know spring and fall and then it might be a little bit too warm out there during the summer and people come sit here in the lounge in the ac so so i'm looking forward to a great summer and um um you know it's a so I have probably said this in every month of the year in my past, but really summer is the best time of the year to be a cook. Um, so I think that people will be excited about what we're preparing then. Because of the ingredients? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So tell me about, um, you, you mentioned you have investors. So tell me about the process of finding good investors and, um, you know, any advice you have. Because a lot of times, you know, people wind up with, with investors that, you know, down the road, they realize, you know, this person's expectations are not the same as mm-hmm. mine or and mm-hmm. those things can go awry. So what were you looking for? Are these people you knew a long time or? Most of them, yeah, most of them, if not all of them, were people that i known for quite some time. Um, and there were some who were interested that I decided, you know, I would rather not be in business with. Um, and so it's a, it's a select group of um, people who are excited for me and, um, um, I'm excited to have them on board with this project. They've been very supportive, unbelievably supportive so far. And um, um, how so? Just word of mouth and coming in and bringing friends. And what what, what is what is a supportive investor? Yeah, do? all those all those things yeah. okay. um, and patient. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a big thing. Um, as we you know, they're it's like a it's a bit of a game of well, once we get fully operational once we were fully operational eight weeks ago it became a bit of a game of whack-a-mole for me because you know in the beginning it was just me and a computer and i could handle every phone call and every email but once we had staff and we were cooking you know the phone is still ringing inbox is still filling up but i can't respond within um, 15 minutes to every email like i did before so yeah um yeah so the, those investors have just been um yeah they, they spread the good word um, you know, that's, and that's the, that's the biggest thing, but they refer their friends and, and they're excited for us. And, um, yeah. What were, when you were putting together the plan and, and working through this, what were some of the biggest, I guess, concerns or challenges you thought you might, you might have? Well, so I viewed this whole thing as just this, I viewed this whole project as, you know, like this giant decision tree. Okay. And the main trunk, like what's at the base is the concept. Okay, let's get the concept rock solid. Let's get a mission statement. Let's say exactly what we're going to do in, in clear terms. From there, you know, the trunk starts to branch out. And so maybe the first few branches are investors and location and business structure. Okay, so let's find a great lawyer. Let's build the LLC. 
let's put together a core group of investors um, and let's find a good realtor and start looking for locations. Um, let's not worry about logo or any, let's not worry about any of the fun stuff or any of the, you know, um, some of the other details yet. Let's work on those three things and make those big decisions first. And when the concept was solid, so that the trunk of the tree is solid and those first few branches are, are very solid, then, you know, other things start to, to branch out and, and, uh, the project starts to gather speed. But, um, uh, I mean, I, I started on this in probably February of 2018, you know, late nights, early mornings, putting this together, phone calls, meetings, um, um, you know, put together the brand guide, um, you know, of what I thought the restaurant would look like and, 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 you know, sending that to prospective investors and, and meeting with people. And, um, you know, it really just it was a continuous process from there. It, it's not an overnight process, um, for anybody who hasn't been through it. Yeah. Um, it, it takes, a, it takes a long time and, um, it's not something you can rush, especially when you're dealing with big institutions like banks. It, you know, the gears grind really slowly. So, uh, okay. So, how many investors did you initially approach, and how many do you have? That's a private matter. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> um, but you you did you did have some that you it wasn't going to work, and you had your reasons why. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you guys have, uh, and then banks were involved as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is there any advice you give to people that are, you know, first time trying to figure mm-hmm. out the structure of debt, equity, investors? I'm sure there are a thousand ways to do it. Um, you know, raise more than you think you need because you're going to spend more than you think you need. Yeah. Um, you want to be well capitalized uh, and have a good, I don't know whether you want to call it a cash float or, you know, um, operational, um, account when you go into business so that you, so that you're not on COD terms with, you know, you, you're going to be on COD terms with every liquor purveyor and, and beer and wine because that's just what the law requires. But, um, you want to have enough of a cash float to pay the payroll and pay the rent and things like that without, um, having to scrape rock bottom. Yeah. So, and that's not an easy thing to do is, is raise more, raise more than you think you need. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You need like probably six months worth or. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good number. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so many things. I think there was a quote, maybe it was, it was one of your, it was success is a thousand things, a thousand little things done right or something like right. that. Right. I didn't make that up, but I've, I've probably said it a, a bunch of times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's literally a thousand things you have to do to get a restaurant. It's a complicated business. It's a hard business. Um, but, uh, and there's, there's just, I don't, you know, there's so many folks that maybe they get into it for the wrong reasons, or maybe they are naive. I mean, there's just a, there's this idea that, you know, restaurants seem kind of sexy and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you've, you have this kind of vision of what it's like, but it's the reality of it is it's, you're, it's a grind, isn't it? It is a grind, but, um, you know, and I, it's funny, I, I posted on my Instagram account a night or two ago, just a photo of like what I eat in the kitchen. Cause I remember this old meme of like, uh, this is, you know, it was a, a chef and a toke and a perfectly starched white coat out in a backyard grilling somewhere. And it's like, this is what, this is what the friends of chefs think that, that chefs do all day. <laughs> so my, the picture on Instagram was, you know, here's a cup of coffee and a, you know, deli of, uh, fusilli with red sauce and here's a you know stir fry similar to what i told you i had for breakfast this morning you know leftover rice leftover beef and a, and a fried egg um, um so it's not uh it's not glamorous but it is 
rewarding. Um, you know, feedback is instantaneous uh, from the guests. You know, you'll you'll hear if they like the meal. You'll certainly hear if, if they don't. But um, you know, server will come back and say, "Oh, seventy seven says they love this restaurant. I can't wait to come back." I'm like, "That's great. Thanks." Um, you can never hear that too much. No, no, that doesn't that doesn't get old. But it's it's a bit like uh, I imagine showbiz to be. You know, there's behind the curtain and then there's yeah. in front of the curtain. I'm sure what goes on behind the scenes at, at plays and and concerts ain't that pretty. But um, but what you see as as an audience member uh, is fantastic. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so how many how large is your staff? I mean, I should know that because you I could probably look. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, probably only got. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just look on schedule. <laughs> <Yeah. by. laughs> uh, I think we've got about uh, 16 full-time employees. 16 full-time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And by, by the way, I thought it was, you know, when we um, first started talking about this, doing this, you mentioned you had listened to the podcast and you, ours, and then you just told me that you've listened to, you listened to a lot of them. So you're, um, with all your experience uh, in the industry and all your success, you're still, you're still learning all the time for sure for sure there's always there's always little tidbits and tricks yeah. and and i think that that is probably you know a, a cook asked me i can't remember exactly how he phrased the question but a cook asked me you know something similar to what you asked me before is like what you know what do you what do i need to be successful like how am i going to end up as a chef um you know 10 years from now and and i i said i don't know but i think the only two things that you really and you really have to avoid I think in the kitchen in this day and age, you have to avoid dogma um, because they're just, there's so much information available. Um, don't think that there's only one way to do things or yeah. don't, you know, you really, really have to have your eyes open. And again, and then the flip side of that is the other thing is you can't be incurious. You have to be yeah. curious because, you know, these, I mean, these, the same, you know, on, on my crew back there, there's a, there's a cook back there who's teaching us how to make, um, he's bringing in SCOBY and teaching us how to make um, uh, kombucha. And so it's, it's you know, all these, all these different influences. There's so much information out there um, that you can really turn, turn to your advantage. It's not like the old days of culinary contraband, which was photocopied notebooks, you know, passed from one cook to yeah. the other on, you know, Xerox paper, like, I still have boxes and boxes of those in my attic and they're very dear to me, but they're largely useless now. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the information that's, that's just at your fingertips these days is, is, is really something else. I mean, I think there's something to paying your dues in the sense of working hard and learning th- how to do things the right way. But there's also, you know, cooks these days can, can, you know, buy, you know, the, the, the giant modernist cuisine cookbook, watch a bunch of videos, um, and, you know, probably pull off some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And, and the guests are more educated these days too. So you yeah. kind of have to, I mean, they, they're more aware there's cooking shows on all the time right. and people are like, you know, with their, they're more dialed into what they're eating. So you've got to, you kind of have to, to stay ahead of that. Don't you, you have yeah, to be curious <laughs> and you have to, you know, competition's tough, but then it's a good thing. Probably keeps you on your toes. It's a good thing. And it, and it drives you if you're, if you are committed to, surprising and delighting the guests then then it's a it's a constant race to stay ahead of them for sure yeah yeah who are some of the local folks that uh here durham raleigh that that uh you know and admire uh chefs yeah or just 
restaurant owners or I mean there just seem to be so many good restaurants like you mm-hmm. said you know Durham and, and now here and Raleigh's got this amazing culinary scene right right yeah no Colin over at the Farrington um, uh, Farrington house probably does the most complex food that I've seen around here just utterly utterly gorgeous um, you go and go and talk to him and it's and he's like oh man I don't have a pastry chef so I'm also the pastry chef right now so it's not a you know it's it's a relay and chateau property but it's not one that is um um, you know, he doesn't have this army of commies around him. You know, yeah. he's he's really in there day to day. So I really respect what he's doing. Uh, Jeremy Blankenship took over for me at the Carolina Inn. And um, he's he's doing food that is probably a bit more what the Carolina Inn really should be. Just very hardcore southern ingredients, southern preparations, but really, really dialed in to something that it reminds me of, like, uh, Peninsula Grill in Charleston uh, back in its heyday and, and some things like that. Um, so he's doing, I think he's doing a fantastic job over there. And um, Mike Lee at, at, at M Sushi, uh, fantastic sushi over in Durham. And then Gabe, um, Gabe Barker at Mercado. Like, I... <laughs> I never had a bad meal there. It's always beautiful, bright, clean flavors, you know, a very Italian bent to it. But, um, I mean, he's, what, 200 feet from the Carborough Farmer's Market. And so it's it, the, the what he puts on the plate is oh, just wow. always, always popping. Um, and great pie, too. And pizza's great. Great pie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, any good Southerner likes good pie. <laughs> so, okay, so you, you won seven Michelin stars, is that uh-huh. right? Yeah. It w- was that... I mean, that seems like that would be a lot of pressure to, to continue to win Michelin stars. It, 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 yeah, it, it, the pressure, the pressure did build because the, ex, you know, the expectations, expectations built gonna, all the time. Yeah. The, right, the first, the first, uh, the first time it was fantastic, and then about 48, 48 hours later, I looked at the chef de cuisine, uh, writers that who is I'm sure you'll be hearing about him a lot soon. He's in Nashville now, um, but um, like man now it starts like 363 days until we find out again like because yeah. we didn't have we didn't know how we got a michelin star you're just cooking and trying to make you really did well i mean there's no um there are no published yeah parameters or anything like that all you go onto the website all it says is stars represent the food that's on the plate okay that's it that's it, like, that's it. um so just hopefully keep cooking good food and, and make it a little better um uh, but yeah, the, the pressure did build, but, um, I certainly wouldn't trade those awards for anything because that was the first time, um, that it was like, okay, here is, you're not a food critic who may have certain proclivities and opinions and here is not, you know, a certain publication or whatever, but like, here is a, here's a, you know, century old establishment that is saying, okay you're at this level yeah. so that was that was affirming and and exciting excellent excellent uh so you have three kids uh-huh yeah. are the kids in here long? uh they are they were in here for staff meal last night we sat on the patio and yeah it's a good time are they uh are they do they are they sort of you know do they have the culinary gene i don't i hope not <laughs> I don't <know>. you hope <laughs> not <laughs> they um they do it it comes and goes um yeah, my my daughter who's six likes to she likes to flip the French toast, and uh, she and her middle brother had a, a lemonade stand, mobile lemonade stand yesterday. Nice. And um, the older boy William likes to scramble his own eggs, and um, it, it 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 comes and goes for them. Um, but we'll see. Where they do they do the lemonade stand? 
they put it, they had, we had that old, uh, I don't know if you, you probably had a, a chariot that you can either push your kids in or pull it behind your bike. Yeah. 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 They put the lemonade in there and stuck a flag on there and pushed it around the neighborhood. Mobile stand. Yeah. Nice. Did you talk to them about the foundation of the business first and what it means to make a profit or is it just get out <laughs> no. there and just get, no, a, get a quarter no. per cup if you can? They don't understand that they are, you know, have been provided with the, with the food inventory already and uh, yeah. the sugar's paid for and the lemons are paid for. That's like a mandatory thing. I told like if there's, if I don't care if I literally just had a couple of lemonade, like if kids are selling lemonade, they're, they got my business. I See, love that. Absolutely. That's uh, you my have wife to and do I feel that. the same if you way. Drive you drive by, to, unless I've actually done, I had lemonade. to do that recently. I drove by and I was like, I'm going to get money. I'm coming back. I'm right. not, I'm not dissing <laughs> you. And I did. I drove home and got like two quarters or whatever and drove nice. back. But yeah. like, you got to do that. That's like, that's like just, you know, that's a must. But, um, which little entrepreneurs, man, I think it's great. I love, um, and that's one of the things that we're, you know, I like, I'm just so thankful we serve so many folks like you and folks that, you know, own independent restaurants because all of you are entrepreneurs and you're out there and you're taking a risk and you're investing time, energy, money, passion, love, blood, sweat, tears, all of it into, into your business and you're supporting your local community and putting money back into the community and hiring local, but I mean, it's just awesome. I love what you're doing. I love what all of y'all are doing. I see your, your staff members over on schedule fly right there on that laptop. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Right on Sorry. Cue. I just, no. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, that's hey, hey I recognize that interface. <laughs> nice. Um, well, look, I know you're busy, so I'm gonna let you roll, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Cause I know you're very busy and, uh, it's an honor. It's really an honor. And, and uh, I, I thank you very much. Thanks. No, the pleasure's mine, and um, uh, we're we're so excited to be open and and uh, and be part of this community. So yeah, good deal, man. All right, that's a wrap, folks. We'll talk again soon.